Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into the Money Insights Podcast. We talk money and business. My name is Christian Allen, and I'm here with my co-host. You know him as Rodney, the pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Rod, I'm excited today. I'm always excited when we get to answer listener questions. So yeah. we had a good group of questions. We have a bunch of them that we're going to try to get to. So in today's episode of Money Insights with Money Insights, we're going to get to as many questions as we have time for. And uh, we'll see if we can do it all in one episode. We might have to break it into two. We'll just check yeah. it and see. Okay. Yeah. The thing I like so, most about this is that we come up with content. We we hope it's always relevant and and that people care about about the kind of stuff that we come up with. <laughs> In this case, we know there's at least one person with each of these questions that cares about it. But our hope is that it it kind of is uh, something that more than that, just that person is thinking about and that it's valuable for a bunch of people. Okay, so here's the deal, Rod. I'm one of those people who never like sends in questions and participates in this way. So, oh, but I have, but I have those questions. So, like, yeah. my guess is that there's a lot of people that at least have thought of the questions that we're going to hit on today. Yeah. Um, who just never get around to asking it, but are are intrigued. You know what I mean? I agree. Absolutely. I don't know why I, I do that. I just, I just, I just don't. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Rod, before we jump in, uh, just a quick reminder, everybody, to go check out the website. We've got the High Income Money Hacks, and we've got the Facebook group, Investment Strategies for High Income Earners, where we're doing weekly Tuesday afternoon at 3 Mountain Time, weekly Facebook Lives about these types of relevant topics that we hope will help people go from high income to high net worth, right? Sweet. Okay, Rod, let's get right into the questions should we yes and for the first one we asked for people to the brave ones to get in and, and actually record the question we always like it when we do this so yeah so we have so we do like those questions just for everybody to know we love all questions to be fair mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and we and we get a lot more written questions than we get um audio questions but we do love the audio questions because it's just so engaging for people to hear another person's voice. And yeah. anyway, so keep them coming. But even if you're not the person that wants to do audio style, we still love the written questions we get in. So thanks for sending all these in. And uh, let's jump into our first one from Ryan Steak. Yes. Hey, Rod and Christian, it's Ryan. I was looking for your insight on what your clients do, those that are investing for cash flow, uh, how they find a balance between investing for cash flow, paying back their policy, and keeping a moderate amount in there for liquidity. So just looking to see what you see as a best practice for those that are investing solely for cash flow for living expenses and how they find a balance between the cash flow they use, the cash flow they pay the policy back with, and keeping an amount in for liquidity. Thanks. Okay, so first off, Rod, I love the question. Yeah. Because I guarantee, especially right now, 
where we've been in this situation where it was really easy to find new investment options mm -hmm. and you know everything was kind of running exactly as we hoped but you know when things change these kind of questions become more relevant so anyway why don't you give us your insight onto into ryan's question yeah i think uh maybe one key thing uh that comes to mind is that there are different phases in our lives and for a lot of us uh that phase is like the investing that i'm doing personally currently i'm not concerned about the cash flow coming off of it right in fact i choose a lot of investments that that are more appreciation focused uh, because I have my working income right now. I don't necessarily need to replace my working income with passive income at this moment. So I'm just flowing it, flowing it all back into the system and, and not worrying about living off of it. What Ryan's talking about is a situation where people are, are investing, uh, that those investments are kicking off some level of cash flow and they are flowing some of that back into the system to invest in other things, but they're wanting to have a portion of that to live on right now. So uh, if, if you picture kind of our, our two buckets, right on the left-hand side, we have the, the bucket that's the investment optimizer, life insurance policy, cash value there growing and, and compounding. And then on the right-hand side, we show that flow of moving money into the investments. Well, in that kind of illustration that we have in our webinars and whatnot, we'll pretty much just always show the money flowing back into the bucket to pay down the loan, to re replenish the opportunity fund, to go out and invest in other things. So, and, and what, what I understand Ryan saying is that there's still some of that happening, but he's also carving off or needing to carve off a portion of that for living expenses today. Right. So my answer to that is that, uh, to the extent that you have uh, excess cash flow that you're not using for living expenses, that's what's going to flow back into to paying down the loan, covering the interest, replenishing the opportunity fund, building back up to go invest in something else. Uh, but but you're you're taking some of that cash flow and you're living on it today. So um, maybe the first thing that I'm going to do is is like validate what you're saying that this is absolutely a, a system that works, right? That we can cover all of those things and, and keep the, the strategy going, right? Or there can even be times when, let's say that, um, like you said, because interest rates are higher, maybe you have higher expenses, et cetera, et cetera, or, or maybe you're, you're in a business and, and the, the economic times just kind of are putting more stress on that business and you have less income from your regular working sources. And so you're needing to live more off of the income from, from your investments, then you should have no guilt or, or, you know, there are no strategic problems with, with carving off some of that to, to live on. And again, that's part of the beauty of the whole, the whole system mm -hmm. is that the, the money that's in your cash value bucket is there, it's going to continue to grow and, and do its thing. And so if you're flowing less towards the loan, therefore replenishing the, the you know, investment bucket um, more slowly, that's okay. Like it's taking care of your needs. It's still providing for, uh, for things today, uh, but then any excess that you have and you're flowing it back towards that, then it is, you know, it's building up for those future opportunities to invest. Okay, Rod, I thought that was thorough. I don't think I really have anything to add to it. I think you 
pretty well nailed each piece down. And maybe I can do one more thing um, because what that also kind of leads to is, is when we start taking income in retirement, right? When we're doing that, we're actually not flowing anything back into the bucket to replenish the opportunity fund or to, to, to pay even the interest, right? When we're, uh, when we're turning on that kind of uh, retirement income spigot, uh, we're, we're just taking money off of the, off of the plan and not replenishing any of it. And that works great as well. It's, these life insurance policies are very effective in creating tax-free income in retirement. And so, okay. So Rod, maybe expound a, pl- a little bit on that. Why, why in retirement or anytime, but we'll specifically say in retirement, can I take money out and not replenish it? How does that work? Why can that work? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is that you've built up an asset. That's your money. You you can you know do whatever you want with it. Right. And, and when it comes time for, uh, retirement income, um, we can do two things. Uh, the first thing we can do is we can take withdrawals of our cash out of the, out of that bucket, out of the cash value, um, up to the amount of the, of what we put in, we can do that. And, and we're just basically taking out what we put in. So it's already been taxed. We don't have to pay any tax on it. Right. So that's coming out tax-free. Once we've done that, if I were to continue taking withdrawals in it, then it would start to become taxable because now I'm taking the growth that was generated. Instead, what we do is we switch over and start using loans. Loans, I mean, it's the same mechanism as what we were using before, but we're thinking of it differently because we're not taking loans to pay anything back, right? I'm living off of that money. Uh, And so, but again, because I have that asset there that's growing and compounding, even though now I have interest that's a compounding on my loan because I'm not making any payments toward it, that's okay because the growth in my policy is offsetting the growth of the interest on my loan. And eventually my ta- income tax-free death benefit is going to pay off that loan anyway. So all of that still comes out tax-free. Yeah. So essentially you don't need to feel bad about taking money out of it in that moment because we have this. And, and again, this is kind of the whole, the whole double dipping concept, right? Like mm-hmm. you've got, you've got, even though you're using that money, it's still, it's not hurting you because it's being borrowed against and you're therefore earning and offsetting with your bucket of cash. Yep. And like That's you right. said, then it goes to, okay. All right, Rod, that was good. So next we're going to go to uh, an email question from Chris Lee. Uh, here's what Chris Lee has to say. Searching for the best way to find a CPA and tax planner. Thought I found one, but he's so stretched thin and busy Things are getting forgotten. I feel like I'm falling through the cracks at his firm. Multiple practice owner, significant investor in oil and gas, real estate, etc. Um, I don't really know true colors until I start working with them. Problem is, it's so labor and time intensive to switch firms. Okay, Rod, I'm about to get very raw and authentic on this one. Uh, because, can I just tell Chris that we have experienced the exact same thing? So I wish that I could tell you today that I had a really great recommendation for a proactive CPA and tax planner, but we basically have gone through this situation where we did a lot of due diligence um, and, and we've had like quality, quality CPAs, but we felt like we needed to make a move just in the last year. Right. So we Mm -hmm. did um, a fair amount of due diligence. We found a place that we thought would make a lot of sense. 
Um, they talked the talk. Unfortunately, they just weren't really walking. They don't walk the walk, right? So, so I don't know what the answer is to this. And what I'm going to do instead is like, hopefully we can call on the community <laughs> to work together to find some good solutions for this because I am absolutely in the market and looking for a really great proactive CPA and tax planner. Now, I will say this. Um, I know that for certain people in certain situations, uh, Tom Wilwright has been a good, has been an option. But again, like, you know, you've got to be the right situation for to, to make sense of that. So I think right now we're working together and my team, and hopefully all of you will work with us. Okay. So a couple things, if you have a CPA that's proactive and really knocks it out of the park, talk to us. We would love to talk to them. We get literally get asked this question every single day or something close to it. Right. So we're constantly um, looking for and wanting to find solutions for people. So again, if you know somebody, please let us know. We would love to interview, talk to, get to know them better and see if they're a fit for other clients that are uh, in a similar situation. So Rod, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. The, the whole thing he said about the, the stretched thin, that's unfortunately what we see when, when we find a, a group or a, an individual CPA that just seems to have the, the magic sauce. They're in such high demand that they get stretched thin. So a couple of things that, that we're starting to realize and, and uh, could be legitimate approach to this is to, well, put it this way, the, the strategic tax planning person is not always and, and most often isn't the same person that's doing the actual tax, the tax form preparation when it comes time to file your taxes, right? So you could actually split them up and say, oh, well, I have a, a really good tax planner. It could be an, a tax attorney, could be in an, inside of a CPA firm, and then handing all of that off to a tax preparer to actually file your taxes for you. So again, we're, we're, we're working on the same. We're you know, wrestling the same with thing, this because but... I think it's a real challenge, right? Um, what's happening is that some firms are, are learning that they're, they, to talk basically to tell a narrative and a story mm -hmm. about how proactive they are. Um, and yet again, like I've talked to multiple firms and, and what we're experiencing is that people are telling the narrative, but not necessarily knowing how to deliver on that promise. So mm -hmm. it's a really difficult situation. Um, here's what we've decided. We're either going to find, uh, we hope more than one, right. But find right. one or a few and, or, we're going to create our own. So at some point, if we can't find it, we will build it in-house uh, because I just feel like it's so critical for people to get really good tax planning advice. Um, it makes such a big difference. Okay. So that's a really great question. We'll keep working on that one. Rod, let's go to uh, email question number three. This is from Tyler Smith, and I'm going to let you answer it, but I'll read it off to you. Sounds good. So here's the question, Rod. Is it possible to do a life insurance policy on multiple children and then, in quotes, bundle it into one investment optimizer? Maybe the owner of the policies is the same person or entity allowing the cash value amount to be larger since it would bundle them all together. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I have a couple of different things. And, and uh, first of all, 
let's talk about a few principles and then we'll bring them together to, to kind of get to what he looks like he's trying to accomplish. So the first thing is uh, we have a lot of people who put insurance policies on children. And when you do that, the, the adult or the, the parent is the owner of those policies. So in the sense that he was talking about that, where the owner is the same, that's how it would be uh, either way, especially with minor children all it the time. Yep. And even with adult children, that's often the way that we'll do it, where the, the parent is the owner of the policies anyway. So in that sense, kind of bundling them naturally happens in that single ownership point. Okay. Um, and then the second thing is that inside of the investment optimizer in a situation where we have multiple policies that are being accessed, we have the ability to uh, attach all of those policies to a single line of credit with the kind of cash value line of credit concept that we talk about with banks. So it creates a single access point for those funds. Sometimes we have people who will have multiple policies and they're accessing them on, on different occasions, uh, keeping them with the insurance company. And we're more than happy to assist. So we'll help people decide, okay, when does it make sense to pull from one versus another, et cetera. So that's something we're doing on a regular basis. But if you want to avoid having to approach that every time you're, you're taking a loan, then you can just set up that cash value line of credit and have a single access point for those funds. And so in that sense, you really truly are bundling those policies inside of the investment optimizer strategy into that single line of credit. Okay. Thanks, Rod. Um, I'm trying to figure out on this one, is it possible to do a life insurance policy on multiple children? Well, okay. So my thought is here that Tyler's asking the question and I could be wrong, but I'm going to answer it in the way that comes to my mind. Okay. So let's just, again, say theoretically, I've got, I've got three kids, right? And mm -hmm. I want to have a life insurance policy on each of the children. So three kids, and let's say I'm putting in, you know, $10,000 a year, whatever. Um, I go 10 years out and they're, you know, they're 27, 24 and 21. And there's $250,000 of cash value there, right? I'm it feels to me like Tyler's saying, okay, I've got this cash. Does it make sense? Or could I just take all that cash that's in three separate policies and bundle it into one singular policy? And a couple of thoughts on that. One, it actually wouldn't be any more valuable to put it into one policy than it is into the three. Because at that stage, the cash value in these policies is like at their most efficient growth mode, right? Mm -hmm. So even though there's three separate insureds, especially since they were kids, the, the cost of insurance is going to be extremely low and going further into it, it's going to get even less. So what ends up happening, it, it, it becomes more efficient and it really wouldn't be like a, probably wouldn't be that useful to pull it into one. The second thing is if I really wanted to do that, right? Let's say I was like, okay, I don't want to have these policies on the kids for any longer for whatever reason. Um, and I wanted to move policy cash value. I could bundle that cash value and put it into like an entirely new policy. However, I couldn't do a 1035 exchange on it because if I, because it wouldn't be an exact like to like, which mm -hmm. just means that if I was moving it, it would have to have the same owner insured as the one that I was moving from. Uh, but let's say that, you know, let's say that $50,000 of it was taxable and 200,000 was, you know, money I'd put in again, just to, just to kind of throw out, throw it out there example. In that case, 
you could move it into a new policy. You'd have to have a new insured. And, um, but then you could take all that money and move it into a new policy. So it wouldn't be that effective and efficient. So I guess what I'm saying is to answer your question directly, it would be difficult to do exactly that. However, the solutions that Rod suggested are great ways to accomplish what we think you're probably asking um, in a more effective way. So if we haven't hit on it specifically, Tyler, make sure you reach out to us and we'd be happy to talk through with you in more detail to make sure you're getting uh, the answer to your question. And maybe I can touch on one more thing with that, because if, sure. if from the beginning you're thinking, man, I just, I want to have the money in the policies, mm -hmm. want to use it for the investment optimizer strategy, but I don't want to have multiple policies. I'd rather just do a single policy still potentially for the benefit of the kids at some future point. But uh, then you, what we've seen happen with some of our clients is they'll put the policy on one of the parents as the insured then again, it, it is all kind of like preempting what Christian was saying. You're getting it all in the policy, a single policy from the beginning uh, for convenience reasons or, or whatever reason you were saying you wanted to have it in second policy. And then uh, you just move forward with it as such with, with you as the insured or your wife as the insured. Rod, there's actually two advantages to having, uh, to doing it the way that you suggested. So the first one is that you can, put more money into the policy. So when I have a child, I don't have enough insurable interest to put significant dollars in. I say significant, like it couldn't be like a hundred thousand dollars. Like mm -hmm. there's some situations where we can get like maybe up to 10,000, but that's even pushing it. Right. So, um, that's a huge advantage, just being able to put significantly more in because of, again, the insurability of an adult who works and makes money creates more opportunity um, to build cash than with kids. The second one is that most companies uh, insure kids at just a just a standard rate across the board. They don't have multiple tiers. And so if you're a if you're an adult that's actually very healthy, then you could potentially get a better overall rate, right? When you talk about the tiers of ratings, you can get a better rate, which can create potentially, a better overall internal rate of return on the policy long-term. So the reason I mentioned that is because a lot of people assume that having policies on kids is going to be a lot less expensive, but that is not always the case. In yeah. fact, a lot of times it's not the case. It's a great point. And the difference, the difference comes in just the insurance, right? Like you said, the same number of dollars going into the policy just creates more insurance for the kids, but it's not like, because the, the lower cost well, that, that's, that's how the lower cost translates. It translates into more insurance, not necessarily less, less costs per policy that we're setting up per dollar that we're putting into the policy. Exactly. Well said. Okay, Rod, that, that was a great question. Um, Tyler, thanks for sending it in. So next we're going to move to Danny O'Connor. Um, and Danny had a handful of questions. They're great questions. And so we're just going to we're just going to roll through them. Okay. First question is for most of your high income earning earner clients, what percentage of their investment strategy is in your insurance products, such as capital avalanche, investment optimizer, retirement accelerator, et cetera. Um, okay. So let me just say, this is a little bit of a tricky question because as a reminder, and most people listening probably know this already, but the investment optimizer is really a pass through strategy, right? So you can put a significant amount of your investable 
uh, of the money that you're planning to invest in alternative assets, maybe even the majority or all of it can go into the investment optimizer policy first, and then you're taking it and investing it into all of the various actual alternative investments, right? Again, that's the opportunity fund. So I would say the answer to that part is to the extent that I'm going to be investing in alternative assets, that is basically the number that I could contribute on an ongoing basis to the investment optimizer. Rob, what do you think of that kind of first bit of advice? Yeah, right. So now as a percentage, then it just depends on how much of that you're putting in towards real estate, businesses, other other things. Even you know, we have we have people using investment optimizer to invest in crypto and all kinds of different things, right? So yeah. all of that can be captured within that investment optimizer piece. Yeah, good good point. So now if we're being realistic, we don't say to people like, hey, put everything you can through the policy. Um, but we suggest that it would be the majority of the money that you're planning to put in on to invest in alternative assets anyway. And the reason for that is just because it's more effective, right? It just makes mm -hmm. sense. It's more effective to do it. If we believe and understand that we're going to get an overall better return, right? We get uh, basically a boosted return by putting it into the policy first. Well, in that sense, it just makes sense to get as much as we're going to be investing that way. So to your point, um, if I have, if I'm a physician that also has a deferred comp plan or a, you know, a, a defined benefit plan or something like that, that I'm, that I'm putting money into, it might be that it's 50% of your money going there. And then the other thing I'll say is this, um, the capital avalanche and retirement accelerator are more of like our passive strategies, right? They're the more set it and forget it. I'm going to put it in for, in the capital avalanche, it might be as little as one year. In the retirement accelerator, it's five years. Like I'm just putting money there and I'm kind of setting and forgetting it. So in that one, I could probably be more, more um, clear in terms of percentages. I certainly wouldn't put more than like 20% into the capital avalanche. Um, that would probably be like a, a max-ish number that I would go toward that. Uh, but in terms of the investment optimizer, I just think as much money as you're flowing into alternative investments, it makes sense to flow through the policy first. Okay, Rod, that's my that's kind of my first or the that's the answer to the first question that I hit on everything he was asking. Yeah, I think so. Maybe I will add just one last thing on the capital avalanche because capital avalanche captures you, you talk about investment optimizer captures dollars going into investments, right? Capital avalanche captures two categories of, of dollars. Number one is uh, lazy dollars emergency fund, business reserves, that kind of thing, um, and or dollars that you're putting aside, not wanting to do anything with. So now kind of getting to your point of instead of forget it, uh, it's still working for us doing, you know, using leverage, kind of these core financial principles that we like. Um, I'm just not planning on doing anything with it for another, you know, 10 to 15 years. So. Excellent. Okay, Rod. Question number two from Danny is, how would you adjust the use of funding of your products? Again, we're talking about life insurance products specifically here mm -hmm. of um, funding your products. If you were five to seven years away from retirement instead of say 15 years away or more. Yeah. So let's talk, let's break it out again. Let's first talk about investment optimizer with the investment optimizer. Uh, that doesn't necessarily change. If, if I'm, even if I'm the very beginning, I haven't even started an investment optimizer policy starting one today 
and retiring in five or seven years, that works great because uh, we can have a, a investment optimizer policy fully funded within even as little as three or four years. So if I'm putting that money in into the policy, loaning against it to go out and invest, create cash flow uh, off of my investments, that's going to facilitate me f- retiring in this five to seven year time frame. Investment optimizer is great for that. So it, it actually doesn't change. It's the same strategy uh, because it fits easily within that time frame. Uh, when it comes to Capital Avalanche and Retirement Accelerator, first of all, Retirement Accelerator has a minimum timeline of 15 years before we can start accessing the, the funds. So we're saying be, nix that one. Yeah, we're nixing it unless we can do what we need to in the shorter term with something else and then get a raise in 15 mm-hmm. years. That's really the only context where that would make any sense. With the Capital Avalanche, we can begin to create income maybe not quite five years, but certainly by the seven-year point, if we design it in a way where we're funding it for multiple years. And just to clarify my point, a lot of times we talk about the capital avalanche as if we're funding it in one year and then financing everything after that, okay? Um, And that's great for people who do have the longer time horizon, but if it's a shorter time horizon before I need to start turning that into income, then I'm going to, if I fund it for, two or three years before we start financing the funding of it, then we can accelerate the time where I start creating that income and, you know, seven years is totally doable. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay. So a recap, Rod, investment optimizer in five words. Investment optimizer doesn't change. Okay. Same thing. (laughs) And then on the other one, you could use the capital avalanche you would not want to use the retirement accelerator. Yep. Okay, good. Okay, excellent question, Danny. Question number three from Danny. Have you run across any tax strategies for W-2 high-income earners to reduce income taxes outside of saving and retirement and saving and retirement accounts, conservation easements, and oil and gas investments? Um, okay, so some thoughts on this. Um, and actually, we might say this a couple times, but we hit on a lot of these things in our high income money hacks, which you can go check out at uh, our website. Um, but here's some thoughts. So first of all, it is difficult to find meaningful or as meaningful re- um, tax strategy when you're not a business owner. Okay. So the first thing that we talk about in our high income money hacks is how do I become a business owner? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I go take on a new business. I go buy a business and start something entirely new. Um, it could just mean that I formalize and make my real estate investment portfolio more of a business, right? I can absolutely create a business out of the things that I'm investing in. So if you're a an alternative investor, you really are putting yourself in a position where you can do that immediately. By doing that, you can get a lot of the business owner tax breaks, right? Expenses and things like that. So that's kind of the first level. And and of course, at the same time, it gives you access to maybe more impactful, uh, even qualified plan opportunities that you wouldn't have as a just as a W-2 owner, uh, W-2 employee. So that's the first one. The other couple things that, we, that, that came to mind is uh, a strategy that Rod and I talked about a handful of episodes back. We call it the Restricted Property Trust. And it is a way, it is a tax strategy that can be used regardless of uh, whether you are a W-2 income earner or uh, a business owner. And then finally, 
Rod, I would just add that real estate has a huge impact on taxes just by looking for opportunities for depreciation, bonus depreciation. And obviously we talk a lot about cost segregation. All of those things are great um, strategies. Now, the, the challenge with some of them, obviously, is that you can't, you can't take a passive loss. Um, sorry, let me, let me try to say that again. Rod, help me out. You, Get my, yeah, you're right. My you thought. can't take a passive loss against active income, against Thank you. the okay. W-2 income. Okay. So one of the challenges, of course, is that you can't take that passive loss against active income. So that's why kind of the combination of doing a few of these things is probably what's going to get someone the furthest rather than just trying to say, okay, let me, you know, and just start investing in this restricted property trust thing that might give me a $50,000 uh, contribution that's tax deductible, but it's maybe not getting me, it's maybe not a full plan. And so it would probably be if I'm a W high income W2 earner, I'm probably looking at a few of these things. And I certainly want to look very seriously about having kind of a side gig business, um, even if it's just my investment so that I can take advantage of the business owner tax strategies that exist as well as the uh, W2 earner ones. Okay, Rod, is that clear? Clear yeah, as mud well on said. that one? Yep. Okay, sounds good. All right, number four from Danny O'Connor is this. He says, we currently use for ourselves and have on our kids the investment optimizer policies. Can you do the retirement accelerator or capital avalanche policies on children? Okay, I'll take this one. Uh, first of all, with retirement accelerator, the answer is no. The, the minimum age on that is age 19. Uh, so we, we just wouldn't be able to incorporate that with uh, anyone younger than that. With Capital Avalanche, however, we, we can. And it, it wouldn't be a standalone, going back to what Christian said earlier about the amount of funding we can get in a policy for a child because that's limited. We're not getting anywhere near the minimum kind of starting point thresholds that we need to for Capital Avalanche. However, those minimum thresholds are basically dictated by the loan side. So, for example, if the if the parents were participating in capital avalanche, they put the hundred thousand in to kind of get past that initial uh, minimum hurdle, and then they also want to put ten thousand uh, into each of their three kids or whatever. Then that totally is doable because combined we're above that minimum threshold and uh, essentially we're, we're creating a single line of credit to, to support all in this case, four of those policies. And so it totally works. So to just to maybe restate uh, when used in combination with policies on the parents, then yes, we can incorporate policies on the kids with the capital avalanche. Okay, Rod, that is well said. And uh, we are now about halfway through our questions. So why don't we wrap up our show for today and we'll make this one a double header. So Rod, thanks for all of your valuable wisdom to the listeners. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us and we will see you next week on the Money Insights Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. 
And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.